Okay. Uh, one thing that we all uh, learn at some point in life is that life is hard. Uh, you know, many people learn that early in life. Uh, maybe as a kid, uh, they lose a parent or they go through trauma. Uh, for other people, it just takes longer. Maybe you had kind of a great childhood and you didn't really learn that life is hard until you got into your 20s or until you got into your 30s. But we all learn at some point that life is just hard and there are some points of life that just end up being incredibly hard. And when people hit the hard seasons of life, that's when a lot of us begin to actually ask the big questions of life. We say, God, why did you make life like this? God, why is life so hard? God, if you are even real, why would you allow this? When you suffer in your life, what does it lead you to? I think that's a key question for us today as we kind of finish out this When Life is Hard series. What should we learn from our suffering? Uh, One of the things I kind of want you to keep in mind as we proceed through this message today is, in a sense, there are two types of suffering. Now, I'm I'm generalizing here. I'm kind of simplifying, so don't read too much into this. But in a sense, you have a suffering that is a direct result of your poor choices, but there's also a suffering that has nothing to do with your choices, right? So uh, in the, the first example from our poor choices, right, if I have a friend and I decide that one day I'm just going to unload on my friend, I'm just going to scream and yell at them out of anger, and they decide that they don't want to be my friend anymore. Well, the suffering that results from the lack of friendship that I'm experiencing, well, that's a result of my own poor choices. Right? But there's also a type of suffering that many of us have to go through that really has almost nothing to do with the choices that you made. Uh, maybe you were driving and you got in a car accident and you were hit by the other car. Right? Maybe you got cancer. Uh, maybe a child gets sick and so on and so forth. And really, I kind of want to look at both of those today as we proceed through this message. And I want to talk about what should we learn from those types of suffering? What, what should suffering like that lead us to and teach us about God. So first we're going to look at the suffering that kind of results from our own poor choices, from our sin. Uh, Jesus' brother, James, says it this way in uh, his letter, James chapter 1, uh, verse 14, says this, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So desire gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death, to suffering. Suffering here on this earth, and for some who don't find Christ, suffering in the next life. You know, when I was in college, uh, I was a history minor, and uh, one of the classes I had to take was a Chinese history, which, how do you cram all of Chinese history into a semester? But they tried. And one of the things that I most remember from that class is when my professor taught about the opium wars uh, in the 1800s. So if you've never heard of the opium wars in China before, uh, essentially, here's the background. In the early uh, 1800s, into the mid-1800s, Europeans, specifically like the British and the French, Uh, they started making an unbelievable amount of money by bringing opium into China. And as the number of opium addicts really began to grow, the Chinese leaders said, you know, we're going to declare opium as uh, illegal in China. Well, the Europeans still wanted to make a lot of money, and so they just smuggled it in anyway. 
Well, eventually they go to war. These are called the Opium Wars. And the uh, Chinese went to war with the British and the French in the 1850s. Well, the Europeans won, and when they came to make their treaty, one of the concessions that they forced China to make in the treaty to end the war was that China now had to declare that opium was legal in their country. I mean, think about that. What the insanity of greed. Like, we're going to have your people suffer just so we can make money. And this is what I remember most from my class. So the historians said that as soon as the Chinese leaders then were forced to make opium legal, that the Chinese people now ran en masse towards the freedom they now had to get opium. The freedom. They sought freedom, but they didn't get freedom. In fact, a history tells us that millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of Chinese were severely addicted to Opium, uh, visitors in historical accounts said in those years, like into the 1860s, if you went and you visited a coastal city in China, where many of the Europeans went and, and, and delivered, now legally, opium, that the coastal cities of China, like Shanghai, for instance, were just devastated. They said you would get off your ship and you'd walk into the city and you would literally see just a sea of people just zoned out addicted en masse right in front of your eyes to opium what was supposed to be their freedom see but desire gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to to death to suffering and it's really not that dissimilar in our own times right we have our own opium crisis and you know it's a different right that it's, we've kind of put the drug in a different form right but still the same thing we have that in america we have plenty of other examples on different things, right? Uh, in a similar way, uh, you could begin to watch uh, pornography. I, I, particularly if you're a young person, I, I want you to pay really careful attention here. Uh, you could begin to watch pornography, and, and it might feel like an incredible rush of excitement, maybe even ecstasy in the beginning. Uh, you might feel like you're getting to see all that you desire. It might even feel like freedom until it doesn't. Until it's every day that you now have to. You can't stop. You have to sneak another look on your phone and your parents don't know about it. Or if you're older, maybe your spouse doesn't know about it. Your friends don't know about it until you can't stop. And you're actually enslaved by it. It's not freedom at all. And now it doesn't even feel wonderful at all because desire gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to death. Now, Jesus says it this way in the Gospel of John. It says, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. See, I want you to know something. Our culture has lied to you. They've told you that you are free to go out and live however you want and enjoy life. They told you you can go out and you can experience whatever pleasure that you want to in life and just make yourself happy. But I would just ask you, are you happy? Is it really working? Or does trying to get everything you can from the world just feel like a suffering of its own without God, without living for him? 
Uh, God once said this uh, through his prophet Isaiah. It's from Isaiah 57. This is the Lord speaking through him. It says, but those who still reject me are like the restless sea, which is never still, but continually churns up mud and dirt. There's no peace for the wicked, says my God. So if you're in this room and you haven't surrendered your life to God, uh, maybe you're in this room and, and honestly the last year or two you've just been running from God. Maybe you're in this room and honestly you've just kind of been avoiding God. You're not passionately living for him anymore. I want you to know that you will not feel at rest. Your heart will feel like the restless sea unable to find peace. And see, that sort of suffering actually ought to be a clue to you that you were made for something more and that Jesus Christ can set you free. The question uh, that I mentioned at the beginning was, what, what should your suffering lead you to? What should it teach you? And our suffering that kind of results from our own poor choices, when we're just trying to get life from the world should teach us that God has hardwired you to find life in something different, in something better, that God has made you to find life, not in the things of this world, but in himself. Okay, but what about, okay, what about the other type of suffering? What about the type of suffering that we experience that isn't really at all related to any of our poor choices? What should that lead us to? What does that teach us about God? You know, this is our uh, fifth and uh, final week of this series. And I know you've probably learned a number of things throughout this series that God can really teach us in our suffering, even when suffering isn't a result of our own choices. You know, one of the things we, we learn is that it's just a way, this is sort of counterintuitive to our culture, but it is a way that God gets our attention and speaks to us. Uh, Justin Jefferson, when he was uh, here two weeks ago, he quoted C.S. Lewis that pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So just, let's just logically think about this. Okay, if God had designed your life in such a way that everything only went well for you, would you ever reach out for God? Okay, let's say you, you, you go through high school, you get straight A's, congratulations, right? You get into the best of the best college, you get the best job, you marry the best-looking person that God has ever created. Uh, you, you, by the time you're 25, you're a millionaire. Everything is just working out for you. And let's even say that you're feeling great about all those things. Because we kind of know from celebrities and such that sometimes you can get everything, but you feel miserable inside. But let's say that's not even happening. You're getting everything, and you feel great. If that was happening, would you ever reach out to God? Probably not, right? Because you would think, well, I don't really see the point of it. I guess I don't really need him. And yet we all kind of know, right, that this life where everything works out, that's now real life. Suffering comes to visit all of us. And when it comes, one of the main things that we should learn from it is that we weren't meant to find life and satisfaction from the things of this world. You know, this actually used to be really intuitive to people, uh, especially if you go back a uh, hundred years or so. Yeah, I read, uh, I, I read uh, biography a lot 
And uh, sometimes when I read at night, I'll make uh, editorial comments on what I'm reading to my wife, who's maybe sitting next to me reading a different book or something. And lots of the biographies I read are people who lived 150 years ago or 200 years ago. And I'll be reading, and I'll say to Lindsay, I'll say, oh, I can't believe this. They just lost their second child. Or I'll say, you know, the, the main person in the story, I'll say, his second wife just died too. And you read about real people who lived 150 years ago or 200 years ago, and it's unbelievable what people had to suffer through before the advancements of modern medicine. And yet, now for those of us that live in the present, which is everyone in this room, modern medicine has, it's great, right? But it has also somewhat oddly inoculated us from suffering or at least the obvious kinds, right? Like death through childbirth, or death from tuberculosis, or the plague, or diphtheria, or all those things. Do you know what the life expectancy was in the United States in the year 1900? Anyone want to guess? Shout it out. 48. 48. In the year 1900. Now, Certainly that number is low because the infant mortality rate was still so high. Uh, many, many people honestly didn't make it through childhood. But when the life expectancy is 48, just think about living in those times. And death is certainly all around you. In those days, the hard times that people just lived with everywhere. We spent a lot of time at funerals in those days. The hard times directed people's thoughts to heaven all the time. The hard times were a reminder to people that this world is temporary. I mean, listen, people in those days, you know, if you go back to 1875 or something, sure, they were human, they were like us, so they would say, oh, I want to be happy, yes, I'd like to make some more money, all of those sort of things, but they just knew They just knew, okay, life is so short, right? People all around me are dying all the time. So honestly, what I really care about is that I go to the right place in the next life. And I'm trusting in God that he can make me happy in the next life. Because I know that that's coming because my neighbor just died and my my child just died and my wife just died. So I'm going to make sure that I do that right. But today... We don't live to 48. The life expectancy in the United States is now 78 Many people live well into their 90s. So think about this. In our world, which is sort of secular in general, that's our culture anyway, and you throw on top of that really long lifespans, Americans just don't think that often about the next life anymore. We just don't. Our thoughts aren't directed there like they were 150 years ago. And one of the things I want you to understand from that is that has negatively affected our ability to both deal with and learn from suffering. Because when the culture lives as if this life is all there is, because that's all they're thinking about, then when suffering comes in this life and a relationship of three years ends, the stock market crashes and you run out of money, people say, I'm not sure that I can even go on. That's the wrong conclusion from suffering. God doesn't want you to suffer and then conclude that this life isn't worth living. He wants your suffering to teach you that this world is not your permanent home. 
he's come to rescue you and bring you to another home. I use this language sometimes when I talk to my kids. Like if, they, if they're having a, a, a really hard day or a rough day, I say, why is, oh, this is awful. Why is this happening? Sometimes I'll just say to them, I'll say, just guys, remember, earth is just our temporary home. Just our temporary home. Sometimes God lets us feel the pain of earth to remind us that this isn't what we're meant for. This isn't what we're destined for. The Bible even straight up uses this language. Look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 14. The writer said, For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. When the world lets you down, it should always be a reminder to you that the world isn't, meant, isn't where you're meant to find life. You're meant to find life in God, in your relationship with him. Uh, John, uh, the disciple, says it this way in 1 John. He says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires, all the things you can kind of get from the world, what does it say? Will pass away. But whoever does the will of God will live forever. The world is going to pass away. It cannot give you this life trying to live out and find pleasure in this world and not in God. You will not find what you're looking for because that's not what you were meant for. That's not what God created you for. So if you're, if you're here this morning and you, you haven't fully surrendered your life to God, or you're just in a spot, maybe you're a believer, and you're in a spot where you're just, you're not really living for him all out. There's no way that someone could say of your life, you are surrendered to Christ right now. Or maybe you're here and you've been wandering from him. And you found that life apart from him is hard. God's okay with you knowing that. Because our suffering should teach us that we need a savior, that we need God. Our suffering proves that you're not meant to find life in anything else. Uh, listen, uh, I don't believe there's a person, uh, maybe ever in the last few hundred years, that can write like a Spurgeon, so let's just look at what he wrote. Okay, he says this on, on this subject. Are there not many men who would have lost themselves if they had not lost their all? I talked with one the other day who said to me, I never saw until I lost my eyes. Another said to me, as I noticed that he had lost a leg, it was the loss of that leg that made me think and brought me to my Savior's feet. Some of you cannot go to heaven with all your possessions and with all your prosperity. It will be necessary to have these things cut away. You are like a ship that is going down through overloading and you will have to be unloaded so that you may float. And blessed is that hand of God that does unload you of many an earthly joy so that you find your all in the world to come. His suffering is good if it's going to lead you to see Jesus. And this is my favorite part. He says, affliction, hardness of suffering. Affliction is God's black dog that he sends after wandering sheep 
to bring them back to the fold. God is coming to rescue you. He wants you back. He wants you back. For some of you, he has been trying and trying to woo you with his love and with his kindness. But so many of us, we're just too stubborn for that. We're like, oh yeah, you love me, blah, blah, blah. And we go out and we chase the things of the world. And so sometimes he's left to use the black dog of affliction. Because it's the only means left to rescue you, to bring you back to life. So you know what you're really meant for. You know, there's an old fairy tale with an evil woman who lives in a remote cottage deep in the forest. And this woman, whenever travelers come through the forest and they're looking for lodging, she would offer them a meal and then a bed, a good night's sleep. And this bed was the most comfortable bed that any of them had ever felt. Well, the problem was that if they were still asleep in the bed when the sun came up, that they would turn to stone. But worse yet, they didn't die. Their, their heart and their soul would stay trapped alive in the statue for all of time. Now, if you ever read like the actual old fairy tales from like four or five hundred years ago, like the Bro- Brothers Grimm fairy tales, uh, one of the things that you'll see is that they're just dark, right? They're just dark. Uh, you know, the Disney versions are a little nicer. Although, I was thinking this week when I was writing this, some of the Disney ones, too, are like, you ever notice in Disney movies that they always kill the mom? Like, who has this complex about moms? Actually, I don't know if this has anything to do with anything, but I looked this up uh, this week. There's like 15 examples of this. Aladdin, right? Jasmine, no mom, just her dad, the sultan. Pocahontas, no mom. Beauty and the Beast, no, Belle doesn't have a mom. It says in the new movie, her mom died from the plague. Oh, <laughs> sad, right? Cinderella, evil stepmom. Finding Nemo. My kids, I, I, they watched this movie like uh, two weeks ago, and I, I came home from work, and I said they watched it, and I said, what happens? Because I couldn't remember. I said, what happens to the mom in Finding Nemo? And they say, she was eaten by a shark. <laughs> you are sick. You're sick people, right? Bambi, shot. Mom was shot and murdered. By a, just, so maybe just as dark. Okay, any, I don't know what that had to do with anything. All right, back to our fairy tale about the woman who turns people into stone. In the story, eventually a young man comes to the cottage deep in the woods, and the evil woman, she feeds him and kind of trying to get him sleepy to go to bed. However, this evil woman also had a young woman who was her servant. And the young woman, the servant, she sees the man and she loves and she feels sorry for him. So before he's going to bed, while, while he's off eating, she sneaks into his room and under his bed, she starts throwing in thorns and sticks and stones and thistles and all these sort of horrible things underneath his bed, underneath his mattress and underneath his covers and kind of all over. Well, that night, every time he tries to roll over in bed, he feels just another object poking him or just protruding into his flesh and he just can't sleep all night long. Just an awful night if you've ever experienced just not being able to fall asleep. Well, he rises uh, well before dawn 
And as he walks out the door, he sees the servant girl, and he just begins to yell at her. And he said, how could you? How could you? How could you give a traveler such an awful bed full of sticks and stones? And he looks at her and says, you are not good. You are an awful person. And as he leaves in the story, the servant says this under her breath. I even put it on the screen for you because I think this is profound. She says, the misery you know now is nothing compared to the infinitely greater misery a comfortable sleep would have brought upon you. And I just thought, how often are we like that man speaking to the servant when we talk to God in our suffering? We go through this season, it's kind of a dark night in our life. We can't rest, and life is hard, and we look to God and we say, how could you do this to me? You ever said that? How could you? How could you make my life so hard? And sometimes we even say, we say, you are not good. And I think he might say, the misery you know now is nothing compared to the infinitely greater misery a comfortable sleep would have brought upon you. To which some of us reply in our heads, we're like, yes, but, but couldn't you have gotten my attention in a different way? Couldn't you have gotten my attention through blessing or success or making me rich or just something good where I, good things could happen in my life and I could just praise you because I'm so wealthy and things are going great? But keep in mind, Jesus in the Gospels, he warns us, he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter heaven. He says, in fact, it's harder for the rich to enter heaven than it is for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle. Because when life is good, generally, most of us just don't think we need him. No, God's megaphone to us often isn't blessing. Usually, it's pain. See, your suffering is meant sometimes to keep you awake to spiritual realities. Awake to the fact that this world that you're living in right now is not your final home. Alert to the fact that your job is not to get sleepy spiritually here on earth so you can drift off to an eternity of suffering. And so for many of us, our earthly suffering is actually the thing that leads us to salvation because it wakes us up and it reminds us, oh, that's right, this is temporary, this is not what I'm living for, and I need a savior. And so if you've been sitting on the sidelines of faith and you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, God is trying to wake you up. Say, surrender. Surrender your life to him. Let him save you. He's trying to keep you awake before it's too late. And God can save you. Uh, whether you need to hear this message for the first time or hear it just again in your heart, I want you to just look at the words from the word of God. This is from the book of Ephesians. It says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Right, we all sin. We were dead in it. 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, every one of us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, meaning all of us have sinned and all of us deserve God's holy, righteous, and just punishment. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And so our desire leads to sin, which leads to death. And our sin is deserving of God's wrath, it's deserving of sending us to hell. Because God looks upon all of your sin, all of your running from him, all of your avoiding of him, and looks on you and says, no, but I just love them. And I want them back. And I want them in my life. He sends his son, his own son, to die on the cross for your sins, to take your punishment. And that if you would believe in him, you could be completely forgiven. You surrender your life to him, You can be forgiven. He will come in your life. You'll be forgiven. You can have eternity in heaven. But it's not just that. God will come in and you'll know his love. You'll begin to know purpose. That sort of emptiness that you're feeling running away from him will begin to fade away. The sort of the restlessness in life begins to go away and God replaces it with peace. So if you're here this morning and you've just been feeling like, yeah, life is hard. Maybe God has been trying to get my attention. I assure you that he has. And the best thing you can do is just surrender to him. Because that's where life is found. In fact, if you've, if you've never done that before, before I get off the stage here, I, I want to give you a chance to do that. In fact, let's just have everybody in the room, just for a minute here. Would you just close your eyes? Maybe you can just bow your head if you feel comfortable doing that. If you know that you just need to surrender to Jesus. You've been running. You've never really given your life to him. You've never really said, Jesus, I believe you died for me, and I want to surrender the rest of my life to you. Not that you're going to do it perfectly, but you say, I want to become one of your followers. If that's just you, and you want to become a follower of Jesus, in just a minute, I'm actually going to ask you to respond. That's a way to draw the line in the sand, and I'm going to ask you to respond just by kind of raising your hand where you are. So if you've never done this before, and you want to become a follower of Jesus, you want to start a relationship with him, accept his gift of forgiveness by dying on the cross for you. You want to become a believer in Jesus and accept that. I want you, wherever you are, just to just raise your hand right now. Just say, I just need that. I need to surrender my life to Christ. If that's just you, would you just raise your hand wherever you are? You can go ahead. Awesome. Anyone else? If you're just feeling it in your heart and you're going, I don't know, me, should I, should I not? That's, yes, you should. That's God. Surrender to him. Anyone else? Let me give you just a couple more seconds. If you've been running and now is the time to surrender, then just raise that hand. All right. For those of you that raised your hand, I want to pray with you. 
Uh, the Bible says that when we get to this point, that we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths. And so whether you just made this decision right now or you made it 25 years ago, I want everyone who's a believer in Jesus to just pray this prayer after me. Would you just repeat this out loud after me? Dear God, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. But God, I believe that I have sent your son Jesus to take my place. And God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Uh, as everyone kind of still has their eyes closed, uh, for those of you that raised your hand, I, I just want you to do one more thing for me. I believe that you just made uh, the most important decision of your life. And when we make a decision of that magnitude, that requires some more information. So in just a second, I'm going to walk off the stage here and go in the hallway. And what I want to do is just for two minutes or so, just give you some next steps, some resources. What do you do to begin following Jesus? And so while everyone ha- kind of has their eyes closed and they're praying, uh, one of our leaders here is going to pray. And while they're praying, if you would just step outside in the hallway, we'll give you some resources and you'll be able to sneak uh, right back in. So we can do that now. Lord, thanks for the gift of your grace, for the message of your gospel, and the chance for us to be forgiven. And we just thank you today for the people who've made that commitment. And for those that are still in the room who, who, who haven't made that choice yet, I just pray that you would uh, help them to see um, the great gift that awaits and uh, the mercy that you're ready to extend to all of us. In your name we pray. Amen.